I'm not the house of cards that falls down easily Ooh, I'm strong enough to handle what you throw at me Welcome to Mental Health News Radio. I'm your host, Kristen Sunanta-Walker. Just what are we going to discuss? The intimacy that is mental health. Let's continue to make it as comfortable as discussing brain health or heart health. This show has been on the air for several years and we have amazing co-hosts. And then we created a network of podcasters on mentalhealthnewsradionetwork.com, a place where every possible facet of mental well-being can be talked about openly. My show, after several hundred interviews, the format is this. Intimate, deep, funny, touching, sometimes uncomfortable, but always vulnerable conversations with interesting people. The goal is to have you, our listening family, many of you who have become my good friends, feel as though you are listening in on private conversations. Thank you for tuning in and becoming part of this amazing journey with me and now with our network of podcasters. Just knowing this podcast might be helping any of you realize you are not alone on this journey called being a human being makes doing this podcast worth every second. Hi everyone, Kristen Sinatra Walker here. I am so excited and I was just telling our guest this that there's like three or four people that when we are researching articles that always come up these same three or four people and she's one of them and we always go of course it was written by her. So we have Dr. Janice Webb with us. Janice thank you so much for coming back on the show. Hi Kristen, thanks for having me back. Absolutely. Now I know you've got to be a busy woman because everything you write is just so dead to the, I don't know what the term is. It's right on. (laughs) Oh, thank you. Thank you. Yes, I do spend a lot of time writing. That's true. (laughs) So we have Running on Empty, Running on Empty, No More, two of your books, and you specialize in CEN, Childhood Emotional Neglect. Um, When we did our first show, I was like, oh my gosh, I understand everything this woman is saying, Um, but today we're going to focus on, well, you know what, you've let our listeners know what we're going to focus on today. Well, uh, we're going to talk about childhood emotional neglect and how it plays out as the child who grows up emotionally neglected grows up, and then connect that with uh, narcissism, because being raised by a narcissist is a common cause of childhood emotional neglect, and it plays out in some interesting ways as the child grows up. It does. It does. And well, we'll, let's get into that. And I definitely want to make sure for our listeners out there that we are going to talk about, you know, when you, you got the, uh, you know, the extra punch of having two parents. (laughs) And that doesn't mean that you're doomed to be a narcissist, but it does add interesting complications in into your life. But first, what are some of the ways, if any, let's say for listeners that don't know what childhood emotional neglect means, can you go ahead and, and reiterate that? Yes, absolutely. The way that I define it is simply what happens when your parents fail to respond enough to your emotions while they're raising you. So this can be, it can vary from a very um, materially comfortable family with parents who care and are trying their best, but who just don't understand emotion, probably have low emotional intelligence, and just 
fail to notice what you're feeling. So you grow up with your feelings under the radar and you end up walling them off just because they're, they just seem irrelevant in your childhood home. And then you grow up without full access to your emotions. And then on the other end of the continuum is the family where there is some kind of abuse going on or severe, um, severe dysfunction. And in those kinds of homes where there might be a lot of, you know, some trauma, some abuse, emotional abuse, other kinds, you know, you can't abuse a child without emotionally neglecting that child. So emotional neglect embedded there as well, but it plays out in a somewhat different kind of way. Um, Same but different, I would say. But it all, it all, if you don't have your parents noticing what you're feeling and responding to your feelings, teaching you, you know, what to do with feelings and how to understand them, it really affects how you feel and function in your adult life. Oh, absolutely. And if you have a parent that is really a five-year-old, like their development stopped at about five years old, but they're walking around in an adult body, yeah, you're not going to get your needs met. You're going to spend most of your time trying to meet their never-ending list of, of needs. That's right. When you have a, a parent who is supposed to be, you know, responding to your emotions, and this is where the narcissistic parent comes in, a narcissistic parent is all about themselves. And I think your description of being emotionally five is a really good way of describing it. <laughs> um, grow up with parents like this, you have to organize yourself around them and their emotions and their needs. And in order to do that, you have to squelch your inner self. And that can lead to all sorts of problems, of course. Well, it also makes you feel like you're insane. And and then there's the guilt, you know, oh, you know, because of what they heap on you with all of their problems, there's no room for yours. But they have all these problems. And so if you're a very emotional child and you haven't, you've walled off in some ways, but maybe not to not in the direction of narcissism of walling it off and recreating their patterns, you've walled it off, but you're still this very emotionally sensitive person, then you, you there's the guilt on top of it where, oh, I'm mean to my parent because look, they're so dysfunctional and they have all these issues. You know, I'm just someone who whines about how my parents don't, you know, didn't love me enough, but they were abused. I mean, there's just so many layers of baloney that you heap upon yourself all well into your own adulthood. Yes, I I really have, have not seen a population of people have more tendency towards guilt and self-blame <laughs> than people who grew up emotionally neglected. And when you grow up with a narcissistic parent who is emotionally neglecting you, um, it really is sort of like a gaslight treatment because yes. you you might think that they're parenting you, but actually it's probably happening the, the other way around. And you're, you know, constantly trying to take care of them and pushing yourself and your own needs and your own emotions down in a way. And of course, when you grow up and you don't have access to your own emotions as you should, you can feel that something is missing and you can feel that something is not quite right with you. But if you haven't figured out yet that your parent is a narcissist, you're probably going to turn that against yourself. And 
I can't tell you how many emotionally neglected people have said to me, something is wrong with me. I just don't know what it is. I had a good childhood. <laughs> you know, I have no excuse. I just must have been born flawed. And then when I get to know the client, I find out that that wasn't the case at all, that this person grew up trying to please his or her parents and, you know, reflect well for the parent and really has just not even, doesn't even know themselves and hasn't really discovered him or herself yet. So why do you think it takes so long sometimes for those of us that were raised by narcissists to figure out that that's what our parent is? You know, it's so interesting, but I think it doesn't apply when it's just your parents. I think it's, you know, it's only been recently, I'm not sure how long you've been in the, in the, around the mental health field, but mm -hmm. um, it's only been in recent years that people have been talking about narcissism. Oh, yeah. Yeah, definitely. I mean, and when I first got into podcasting five years ago, this was not a hot topic. About two years later, it started to become a hot topic. It was certainly out there, and there are a lot of people that wrote books for a long time, but it took two years for it to finally start being really a popular subject, and now, of course, it's everywhere. Yeah, I think it's because, you know, regular people who aren't narcissistic have a really hard time believing that other people can be the way that they are. Um, I, in fact, I was just talking with uh, someone recently who, was, who, who works in a big company and was telling me about a coworker who I could spot immediately was a narcissist. And I said to this person, that person's a narcissist. You should watch out. And, you know, it just is amazing how people, it's, it's hard for a regular person, meaning a non-narcissistic person, to accept that anyone else is a narcissist, much less when it's your own parent. It makes it even much harder to see or believe or accept because no one really wants to think that their parent who's supposed to love them and care about them is a narcissistic personality disorder. You are, it is. And I, what I found for myself, the hardest piece of it was more because I'd been talking about this for a few years before I finally realized this and about my mother. And I, the hardest part was realizing that she had no capacity to love me. Yes. That was the hardest piece to real. This is why I was discarded the way that I was. This is why our entire family was discarded by her. This is why she does. She cycles through relationships looking for who's going to take care of her and discards whoever um, was the previous partner because they're used up. And I, at one point, became the partner um, and realizing they don't love you. I mean, right. you, can, you can have a broken heart from a boyfriend or a girlfriend or whatever, and, or a marriage that breaks up, and that's horrible and awful. What I found interesting was if you were raised by and, and you were you know, emotionally neglected, and of course you were used as narcissistic supply by your parent, but you weren't love bombed because you, were, you had needs. And as a kid, if you have needs and your parent is a narcissist, you're a pain in the ass. So mm -hmm. 
So I was never love bombed. I was love bombed as an adult by my mother because she was running out of fuel from her husband. So she love bombed me as an adult. And I was in heaven because I had never received that from her in my entire life. And Mm. then discarded as I couldn't take it anymore for another partner. And it was fascinating to go, oh my God, now I know what all her partners have felt like. And this is what it's like to be love bombed. And this is worse than any marriage or boyfriend because it's your parent. It's the worst. It's the absolute worst. And one of the, um, I think what you just described is so common. I've seen it from so many children of narcissists that the parent will, if there are more than one child in the family, the parent will go, will choose one child that has the most potential to reflect well <laughs> on the parent. And you're you're using the phrase love bomb, which uh, is interesting to me. I would <laughs> Like um, chooses that child to be the mirroring object, right? Yes. And (laughs) that's narcissism slang, love bombing. But you're right. Yes, the projection and the mirror. Yeah. 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 So it's sort of like you're my favorite, Mm -hmm. and for kids, even if they're never told they're not the favorite, it's very obvious. And because you know they're not they're not offering me anything, so I'm not going to give them as much attention. But it's such a slippery slope because being on the top of the pedestal means that you're next to be on the bottom. Oh, yeah. And if you fail your parent and they've, or they've squeezed everything out of you they can get, they're going to go on to the next person. And it's one of the most painful things that the child of a narcissist has to go through. It's just horrible. It's absolutely, absolutely devastating. I'd be broke. Well, I've told people I'd take being molested by my father again rather than deal with what that was like with my mother. It's, it's that says a lot. Yeah, it, it's absolutely, absolutely devastating. And, and there is a piece of you, and I've heard this from other people as well, that feels like, oh, okay, you're this old and you're blaming your parents for, you know, for this stuff, like move on already and get over it. And I, I can see where people are coming from with that. But until you realize exactly, it's not like, I mean, there's childhood emotional neglect. I know my son dealt with that with me. Like I don't know any parent that hasn't, you know, emotionally neglected their child at one point or another because we're human. But that's a whole other level when your parent is a narcissist. <laughs> yes. That's for sure. Yeah, without a doubt. Say, how have you or have you dealt with people coming to you and saying, you know, you need to stop blaming parents for everything. And, you know, you know, the old adage about that. Have you dealt with that or what's your answer to that kind of thing? A lot of people that I see say that themselves. They say, oh, my gosh, I'm so embarrassed. Here I am, 43 years old or 33 or you know, 63, whatever their age is, and I'm sitting here crying about my parents. This is ridiculous. Um, I, I, it never ceases to amaze me how many people feel that way. And it, I've heard it so many times that I put a section in my second book about this, about how much power a parent has over a child mm-hmm. and really all try to pretend that's not the case as a society 
And I think as parents, we don't want to accept it because it's too scary. And we don't want the blame factor to, we, we don't have to want to have to deal with that. We don't want to be blamed by our kids. We don't want to have to blame our parents. But it really isn't about blame. It's just about acknowledging that biologically we are wired to need love and appreciation and to feel deeply known by our biological or primary caretakers, our biological parents or or primary caretakers. It's literally wired into our brains. So there's, there's no escaping it. You can deny it. You can fight it. You can disavow it, but it's not going to go away. You just have to accept it and deal, go with it and deal with it. So let's say you have um, someone who, you know, had a narcissistic parent. They have children of their own. They were continued supply for their parent. And so they, you know, they weren't emotionally available to their own kids. I've had people say, well, I just ruined my kids. They weren't narcissists themselves. They didn't go in that direction, but they definitely, you know, there was splitting between the grandparent and the grandchildren, still scapegoating the parent, all kinds of just, you know, deplorable behavior. And I've had them say, well, I just have messed up then. I've just messed up my kid's life. And I always think that is so not true. Your awareness and the change in your behavior now is showing your children, no matter what age they are, that there can be a different way. You can't make up for lost time. You know, you can't go back and change the past, but you can show them a different way and be emotionally available now. But you're you're the expert here. So what are your thoughts on that? Well, I couldn't agree more. And what I always tell parents is never give up. Never give up on reaching your child. If if so many people emotionally neglect their children who are well-meaning and loving and really honestly trying to do their best. And the thing is that you can't give your children what you didn't get yourself. Right. Until you realize what's missing. And then you can, you can give it to your kids. And there are some very specific things that you can do, um, even if your kids are grown up, but if they're adolescents or they're small, there are still things that you can do to repair emotionally your relationship with your child. And for some people, it's a matter of some people can actually talk to their child about it and say, here's, it depends on the age of the child and the personality and all that, of course. But to say to the child, I've realized here's what happened to me growing up. Here's what I've missed with you. And it wasn't what I wanted at all. And I can see that you know, what was done to me, I've done to you. What wasn't done for me, I haven't done for you. And I'm going to work on fixing that. When a parent says that to a child in the right way at the right time, it can make a profound difference. It does. It makes a huge, it makes a huge difference. I've had that that exact almost worded conversation with my own adult son. Listen, I'm sorry. You can you have reason to be upset. I was not there a lot of the time because I had no idea how to be. Thank God for my grandmother who did teach me a lot of how to be with kids. And it's made a huge difference in him being able to be validated for how he felt as a kid when I wasn't there for him. Wow. 
Well, I'm impressed. That's great. I love hearing stories like that. I love it. Well, I just, I don't think it's, I, I think it's when you take these journeys and people that work with you, I mean, you, you get to see it right before your eyes where people have these awakenings and, and then you see the change happen in their lives. But I always feel like when you go back to the source of where this came from, which is your parents, obviously, <laughs> and you work from there, you're starting at the root and it's going to have a ripple effect on every other place in your life. And for me, it's allowed me to rewrite my own history. My narrative of my life is being rewritten. It is not what my mother's narrative was for me. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And you know, once, once you take this on and decide to change what you're doing with your children, there are really specific things that you can do to draw your child closer emotionally, even if, even without talking with them about what went wrong or about emotional neglect directly. You know, you can, tr you can call them more often. You can interact with them more, no matter what age they are. You can just talk more. You can try to show your own emotions more, you know, within within healthy boundaries. You right. can try to more emotion words with your child of any age. You can get more curious about your child's happiness and well-being and life and ask more questions. Um, all of those things, when you make those changes, even if they're subtle, they have an effect on the child and communicate to the child, I care about your feelings. I'm interested in your feelings. I see your feelings. And every time you give your child of any age that message, you're either healing or preventing emotional neglect in your own child. I know, I know, no one likes commercials, but seriously, folks, without the help from these organizations, we could not stay on the air. Please give a shout out to zencharts.com. If you're a mental health or addiction treatment center, you'll want to use their EHR. It's gorgeous, and they're just good people. And also mygenetics, M-Y-G-E-N-E-T-X.com, because knowing your genetic code empowers your mental health treatment. And lastly, copenotes.com. We love getting positive messages right to our phones every day from Johnny Crowder. He's the lead singer of Prison, a heavy metal band sharing their music about suicide prevention, addiction recovery, and mental health. See, that was painless. Support them as they support us. Back to the show. How about when you have, let's say, a child who, let's say you were very much scapegoated by your parent, and so they sort of enlisted your your children, their grandchildren, in, in the scapegoating behavior, and they don't treat you with much respect. What would you say, you know, someone who comes in and they're like, well, my parents still treat me this way. Now my children are starting to talk to me this way. And they sort of operate in their lives like they're a second class citizen. But once they do become empowered, there can be a bit of a power struggle with your own children. What would you say in that kind of a scenario? I think that the biggest thing for that middle, that sandwich generation person to do is to start focusing on themselves more because that's going to help them both with their parents and with their children. So what I would say to that parent is pay more attention, 
start paying more attention to your own feelings and start trying to put words to your own feelings. And it's incredible how empowering it is when people who have been ignoring their own feelings their entire lives start to pay attention. Um, Just that alone um, starts a kind of a sea change. And then it causes over time, if you keep doing that, it, especially if you start getting help with learning the emotion skills, like once you're paying attention to your emotions and starting to feel them more, it's empowering, but you have to know what to do with your feelings. So learning the emotion skills, how to put words to your feelings, how to listen to what those feelings are telling you, because every emotion is a message from your body. So listening to those messages, figuring out how to process them, what they're telling you to do, your feelings are probably telling you to set limits with your parents. Your feelings are probably telling you to protect yourself and your kids from your parents and to start being firmer and standing up for yourself. So there might be a lot of skills that have to be learned in a situation like that, but I think the best way to affect the people around you is to change yourself. Yeah, that's absolutely true. When you lay down those healthy boundaries for you, you're definitely going to get some pushback. And what's interesting, uh, what I've learned and what friends of mine have learned is, so the pushback you get from the narcissistic parent, they're not going to stop their behavior. I mean, this is ingrained. It's a personality disorder. It's they're They're not going to stop. But with your kids, even if even if they're adults and they're treating you like how your parent treated you, your kids will stop. They may, you know, throw a fit and don't want to speak to you for a while. And you think, oh, great. Now I'm estranged from my own children. I'm horrible, blah, blah, blah. If they're not personality disordered themselves, they will come around. And then you have a more respectful relationship. Because I know with my son, I did that. I'm not having these conversations with you anymore. Boom. We didn't speak for a few months, and I did that whole thing of, I'm a horrible parent, I'm estranged, blah, 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 and I just kept waiting it out, and he finally called me, and I'll tell you, our relationship is a thousand times better than it ever has been. He heard you. He got the point. (laughs) Yeah, he He, did, And and when we have a call, it's a respectful Like he doesn't go to those, he doesn't even feel the need. Sometimes I think with kids and I thought this with my son and I I brought this up with him. I said, sometimes I feel like you were behaving quote unquote badly because you were trying to reach me. You were trying to get my attention. And I was so unable to feel just trying to survive that I, I couldn't even pay attention. And you were just acting out because you were just trying to get to me. And so, and he was like, yeah, you're right. And I, and I said, see, now you don't need to do that, do you? Because I'm here. Mm-hmm. That is what kids naturally do. They'll push the envelope because they need to find out where the limit is. Right. And where, if your limit is in a healthy place as a parent, you're giving, you're teaching your child healthy limits that they'll internalize. But if your limits are blown because, like you said, you're too scrambling just to manage or survive or you're not paying enough attention to your own feelings 
or you're blasted from your parents too and, and you don't even know if you're coming or going, your kid is just going to keep pushing it and pushing it and pushing it until they hit finally hit a limit. So you did a great thing. You set a limit with your son and it, it worked. And I couldn't agree more. I think if your child is not personality disordered, then your child is going to come back to you. And even if your child is personality disordered, that's not a reason to give up. I think it's a parent's responsibility to always be there for their child, no matter what, and always keep trying no matter what. Exactly. Exactly. Keep trying. That's, that's, that's the biggest thing. If you're the parent and your child, I mean, my parents give up give up on family, give up, run, hide, hide in other people, all of that. I don't. I will keep going. And thankfully, um, my ex-husband is the same way. I mean, we're still friends after now 32 years, and we both come from divorced narcissistic parents. Wow. That in itself is a, is a, is a big deal. And I'm not saying to listeners, please don't roll your eyes and think I'm saying we're some kind of handbook on how to do it. No, we're the handbook on not how to do it, but we figured it out later. And there's hope, like there's hope, even if your kids, you know, are very estranged from you, there, there is absolutely hope if you do what you're saying, Janice, if you're, if you work on yourself. Yes, yes, exactly. It's amazing how profoundly and deeply it affects the child to have a parent change within themselves. Yeah. It's it's just it's amazing to me. It's like osmosis or something. I don't even understand it um except that w- when the parent rewires him or herself, it literally rewires the the child along with the parent, no matter what the child's age is, even if the child's an adult, it makes. And even a- if you're not speaking to them, it's rewiring them. It's like it's happening through osmosis or something. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's crazy. But now, if we could talk about parents for a minute. Yeah. The absolutely. amazing thing about narcissistic parents—it's not amazing; it's sad—is that they tend to be either on or off. They're either all on or they're all off. So if you try to set limits with a narcissistic parent, many times they will just disappear. They'll either like switch on even fuller and go after you even more, or they'll just switch off and disengage because they have nothing to gain from you anymore. And so you're not worth their time or energy. So that's really, I think, a big challenge that a lot of people with narcissistic parents face is that they... Are when they try to set a limit with their parent, they're probably going to get it worse for a while, and then they're going to have their parent disengage. And all of that is very, very painful. But all, but the end result, I think, for a lot of people, is worth it. Yeah. What do you say to people that you know? It just there's it's so abusive um, that they. I mean, do you ever say to someone, okay, that's so abusive that you really just need to not be in contact with your parents anymore? Um, You know, that is such an incredibly personal decision. Mm -hmm. But I, when I'm at a point where I feel, first of all, I don't think anyone should tolerate any abuse from their parents because it's, it's the complete reverse of what nature intends. Right. You know, Parents are supposed to be nurturing and supporting and raising 
and helping children. So parents who are harming their children, I think, are naturally putting themselves in a position where they, um, you know, they may force their child to disconnect from them. And I would much rather see someone disconnect from their parents altogether and put their focus on themselves and their spouse and their children and pay it forward than keep going back to that harmful, toxic place looking for the love that will never come. That, as a therapist, is the hardest thing to watch someone do. And boy, do you look for it because you don't even realize it. And you're playing these tapes of, I mean, I I knew I was doing it. Well, when she's going to change and looking for signs of change. And even though intellectually you can tell yourself that's not going to happen. You've spoken to how many experts all over the globe on this subject. You know that's not going to happen. But your heart wants it to change. Yes. And I think that that, it's not even driven by thought, it's driven by biology. Mm -hmm. Visceral need to have your parent love you and accept you. And like I said, no one, no one escapes that. The best you can do is acknowledge it and, you know, manage it and work with the fact, you know, work with the acceptance of the knowledge that you naturally need that, but that you will sadly and tragically never get it. And then that raises the question, now what? So if you're never going to get this from your parents, what? where are you going to get it? What are you going right. to do? And fortunately, there are answers to that. You can still get it. Um, you can get it from yourself by going through the whole process I just described, which is essentially the emotion, childhood emotional neglect recovery process. It's focusing on yourself and paying attention to yourself in a way that your parent never paid attention to you and figuring out what what are my feelings? When do I have them? What do they say about me? What are they telling me to do? What do I like? What do I not like? What do I enjoy? What do I not enjoy? What makes me happy? What makes me unhappy? What kinds of people do I like to hang out with? What kinds of people you know, do I not like? All of those things that you missed paying attention to and learning as a child, you can learn as an adult. And the more you do that, the more you find out who you are and the more opportunity you have to love yourself for who you are. And the other thing you can do is get it from the people who are choosing to be in your life now. Your, you know, your partner, your husband, your wife, the people who are your friends, your close relatives, Anyone who's in your life by choice because they like or love you can give you what your parents couldn't give you. And then there's, of course, your children who are not meant to be nurturing you, but when you do right by them, children just naturally give a lot back. Yes, they do. And that's the the most amazing feeling in the world is when your child is proud of you as a human being. Oh, yes, yes, definitely. It's extremely rewarding. My son just will say that every so often, and I think, oh, that's really nice to hear. And you're right, that that piece about changing, if they can see that you evolve as a human being, it gives Mm -hmm. them a, a path 
a way, you know, for them to go and to see that they're going, you know, this is the path that you want. You don't want to stay rooted and stuck. You want you, part of the human experience is to grow and, you know, be more of who you are and more confident and more present and all those things. And if, you know, well, I think first sometimes kids have to stop just seeing you as a parent. They have to see you as a human being. And somewhere that happens with kids. I'm not quite sure the age, but it happens when you have a parent who isn't a narcissist. If you have a narcissistic parent, you're never going to see that change. They're always going to be the same way no matter what. Right, right. And that's why, and then in order to really grow, you have to you have to get some boundaries with them in order to grow yourself, right? Right, exactly. And that shows your kids too. Oh, okay. A boundary to you was a squiggly line that was constantly moving on shifting sands as a kid, but with your kids, no, there's a line. And this line you do not cross. And that's... Right so healthy so when you have someone that comes in and you know they they really have a lot of narcissists in their life how do you determine that when you're speaking with them is it how they describe their relationships that they're in that you realize oh yeah this is someone who's wearing a sign that says all narcissists come and feed (laughs) (laughs) um yeah you know the people that draw narcissists the most are the people who take up the least space. So if you, you know, if you're not paying attention to yourself and you're not really valuing yourself and you're not aware of what, of your own feelings, then people are going to be attracted to you who need to take up a lot more space, who need a lot of attention paid to their feelings and their needs. You know, they're going to, just come running and say, wow, here's, you know, here's a great place for me to get fed. <laughs> right. I used to walk <laughs> around and I swear I was like, do I have a free vein left? I don't think that I do. I mean, even between my toes, somebody latched on there too. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, I've a sign that this is happening to you um, that, I don't think many people are aware of is if in most of your relationships or in too many of them, if the other person is doing most of the talking, if it's most of the conversation is about the other person or it's about the other person's needs, if you find yourself over-focusing on other people, then this is probably happening to you. You're probably attracting people who take up too much space. And that's a a wake-up call. Right. Right. Most definitely. Most definitely a wake-up call. Once you've tipped to the other side and then you are friends with people who are the ones who have evacuated themselves, it's such a different – I mean, you all want to get healthy together and not do that anymore. But having friendships with those kind of people who are your peeps, it's Mm -hmm. a whole different experience. Because there's a lot of, oh, no, no, you tell me your problems. No, 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 you tell me your problems. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, well, you want it to be balanced so that there's give and take. But 
if you grow up emotionally neglected, you're much more likely to pay little attention to your own feelings and needs and weigh too much attention to other people's. And if your parent was a narcissist, you grow up so focused on your parents' needs, you're likely to translate that on into your other relationships as an adult and look for people who, like your parents, need a lot and take up a lot of space. And then that feels comfortable to you because it feels right. That's how you grew up after all. Right, exactly. So what would you say, I mean, I, and I hope you come on many more times. I talked way too much on this show, so, but I love hearing what you have to say. <laughs> um, what would you say to, you know, I know people can read your books, Running on Empty, Running on Empty, you know, more. Um, what are some ways, because I, I think that the hardest thing to realize when you have CEN or you've suffered from CEN is even having a feeling of your own register on your radar. So, I mean, that almost seems like you're hyper aware of everybody else's feelings, but mm -hmm. you, you don't even know, like, you wouldn't even know where to begin, like wh where even to begin to notice your feeling. In fact, it might just feel like gas. Oh, that's uncomfortable because you just have no idea. So where would you suggest people start in trying to tap into that and recognizing, hey, that's a feeling. That's your feeling. You need to pay attention to that. Yeah. You know, it's amazing how much difference it makes when you simply make the, a decision to start trying to notice your feelings. When when you just make that decision, I'm going to start trying to notice, mm -hmm. um, it, it just kind of changes your whole framework. And then if you, some people are better at this than others about structuring yourself. So um, in on my website, and it's also in my first book, Running on Empty, uh, there are a bunch of worksheets. One of them is tracking a track feelings tracking sheet. So there's a special exercise in running on empty about turning your attention inward that helps you try to get to contact a feeling and feel something. And it that exercise just kind of just doing it breaks down the wall between yourself and your emotions. So you can just sort of like gradually chip away at that wall just by focusing inward and asking yourself what you're feeling. And then if you use the tracking sheet and write it down, like I said, it's, it's on my website, write down any feeling that you can get and learn emotion words so that you'll get better at putting words to what you're feeling. It's sort of like, um, it's kind of an amazing process. It, it really just starts to make a big difference. Yeah, just to even see it. I remember feeling my feelings for the first time and I was very uncomfortable and it wasn't that it was uh, that the feelings were bad. I was actually having good feelings, but just any feelings were yeah. so uncomfortable, what good or bad. And then it became, oh, this is interesting. I'm noticing them now and I can handle all the uncomfortable feelings just fine because I'm used to those. But if any good feelings come in, those feel very weird and frightening. Oh, that's so interesting. I do find that some, you know, it depends on how your family was set up when you were growing up, whether you'll be more uncomfortable with negative feeling or positive. It seems counterintuitive that anyone right. would feel 
uncomfortable with positive feelings, but an incredibly high number of people are uncomfortable, like with happiness or joy or love. Absolutely. It feels wrong somehow because you weren't really allowed to feel those things when you were growing up. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Because, you know, you're dealing with, especially with narcissism and narcissistic parents, many times it's pathological envy. They're absolutely envious of, of you, their child. And so Mm -hmm. if you're happy and you're being fulfilled in some way, they want to put a control on that, a stamp on that. You know, you're not allowed to just be this, you know, jubilant child uh, because then you're not under their control. And they're jealous because they don't they are they can't feel that. Yeah, it's really sad. Uh, You know, the parent might say, um, you know, see the child being really happy and say, you know, don't put all, don't get so excited. It might, you know, might not work out or simmer down or, you know, don't put all your eggs in one basket or, you know, there's so many ways parents can subtly discourage kids, but the narcissistic parent can even take that a step further and do more like what you were describing and try to do something to put the child in a bad mood. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And a lot of things, um, accomplishments, I've heard this from so many listeners too, where they didn't want to even share, they got to a point where they didn't want to share their accomplishments with their narcissistic parent, because then it was like their parent was taking it away from them. Yeah. Because it well, becomes I'm- all about your, your, what you're mirroring to the parent. It's not, it doesn't even belong to you anymore, but it was your accomplishment. Yeah, exactly. And also, you know, you're taking the risk that your parent will not be fulfilled by whatever you're telling them, and they'll seek to minimize it or put it down. I mean, you can feel it. You can feel it as a kid. You can feel if you naturally are repelled from your parent. And I'm not talking, you know, we do a lot of shows on autism and, you know, where kids pull away and so on. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about you're not on the spectrum. And Mm -hmm. you're naturally your first inclination is to not want your parents to touch you. That's a huge indicator right there. But you feel like they're stealing something from you. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Or intruding. Intruding. Exactly. Intruding. Interloper. That's what I, that's what I call it. (laughs) Yeah. But there are a lot of variations. Well, I want to make sure our listeners know you can, it's very simple. You can go to Dr. Janice Webb. So D-R-J-O-N-I-C-E-W-E-B-B.com. I'm telling you the articles that um, she writes, I'm talking about you in the third person, but the articles that Dr. Webb writes are incredible, absolutely incredible, especially about this topic. Please go to her site and sign up for the newsletter read her books. They're amazing. And the papers that you talk about in your book where you write feelings down, I've done those myself. Listeners have done those. They absolutely work. They they really do. So if anything, start doing that. Well, good. I'm glad to hear it, that you did them and they helped you. And um, there's also a questionnaire on the on my website if you sign up for the newsletter you can take a questionnaire that will help you figure out if you grew up with emotional neglect because it's not always very clear at all. 
Right, right. We all did this internally on the network and we were all like, oh boy, there's a reason why we all work together. (laughs) (laughs) But life does get better with awareness. But thank you so much, Denise, for coming back on. I so appreciate it. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. And thank you to our listeners for tuning in to another edition of Mental Health News Radio. Without good intentions, I heat up and act on my emotions. Thanks so much for listening to Mental Health News Radio. Our podcast can be found on iTunes, Stitcher, and hundreds of other podcast apps. Or you can visit our website at mentalhealthnewsradio.com. If you have a question or would like to be a guest, become a podcaster on our network, or join the amazing organizations that help keep us on the air, please email us at info at mhnrnetwork.com. Get ready for that special goodbye from our resident therapy dog, Miles, and a special thanks to Emily Sohn for letting us use her incredible song, Cordial, for our podcast music. Listen to the full song on SoundCloud at emily.sonne. Don't be surprised when I don't hate on you. After all we promised, we'd be cordial. Sometimes in you, I can fight it. Good boy.